It's time for truth, the ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Good eye, mates. That's Australian for a good day to you, my friends. Uh, for those of you in Rio Linda, uh, for all the rest of you, <laughs> a little Rush Limbaughism there for you. For all the rest of you, uh, whoever you may be and wherever you may be, uh, thanks for making us part of your day. Uh, we're glad that you listen, and we hope that today's episode will be helpful to you. Jim, how are you today? Yeah, doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Idaho, and we're blessed to be in our new studio. And this is our first podcast where we've actually got an audience. We've got people participating in here with us. So super excited. And I love today's topic. I'm excited to talk about it, uh, doing it very carefully, but uh, excited to bring this. And it came from a question from one of our listeners. And so excited to get this one going. Yeah, today's the day. We, we have previously invited our listeners to submit any questions that they have that they would like for us to address. And they can do so by emailing their questions to truthfamilybiblechurch at gmail.com. We didn't take it easy on you. You have to spell it all out, truthfamilybiblechurch at gmail.com. And if it's a good question, uh, you just may hear it answered on the podcast. If it's not a good question, well, you know, you might just get... Uh, uh, an email response or something. But if it's a, if we think this would be a benefit, like Jim said, to uh, our church family, we want to make sure that we can address those and hopefully be of help to you. And so today, we do have our first listener submitted question uh, from Todd, and we want to thank Todd for listening. He is a regular listener to the show as well as to our sermons on YouTube. He's no stranger to several in our church, and he submitted a question that we thought warranted a whole episode. And so today, we are answering. Uh, Todd's questions to us. And as an added bonus, we just finished our interview with one of our deacons, uh, Mark Steinmeier, aka my, my my dad. And so we, we've invited him to stay for this episode also because I think he could contribute some things to this conversation. And so, uh, Dad, welcome to this conversation. Thank you again. Well, Jim, uh, would you start off for us by uh, reading Todd's question? Yeah, so Todd's question is, can you please dive more into Big Eva? You mentioned that occasionally, but I don't really know what you're talking about. And is there something we should be concerned about with Caverly Chapels of the World, Greg Lowry, Chuck Smith? I realize they don't teach the Bible the same way as John MacArthur, but I can't put my finger on what the difference is. And I can't castigate the Calvary Chapel either going to some of their churches, listening to those pastors on KWVE in social so, in Southern so California Cal, is what brought me to repentance and salvation. I'm confused. Are you guys denigrating them? Are you meaning to warn us of bad teaching? What do I need to know about Calvary chapels and or Big Eva? And what is it? I, I think that's a really good question. I, I anticipate that that's uh, not necessarily a unique question. I think there's a, a number of people that could benefit from uh, our discussion of that today and understanding what we mean when we use that shorthand phrase, Big Eva. 
And, and so uh, I, I think Jim certainly has uh, done some research as well and can give some of the more historical developments of that phrase, Big Eva. Um, and that's where we'll start. And then we'll get into some of those questions related to Calvary Chapel. Yeah, and this is a caution too, right? Remember, our podcast is for our church family. This is really important. And so when we do this, we're really trying to inform them and teach them in everything that we're teaching. At Truth Family, we take a very high view of lordship. So we want the whole counsel of God's word his attributes, his laws, his teachings, all of these things to be held in high regard. And so when we look at things like Big Eva, it's not necessarily that they're unbiblical. It's just that they don't match up to what we're trying to achieve with True Family Bible Church. So um, be careful if you're listening to this, you know, pray that you would grow, pray that you would study, that you would engage the Lordship. And if you want to know more about Lordship and Biblical Worldview, um, while I was headed to Austin growing the beard, Danny, you did two podcasts on that. So I think they're episodes two and three. They're out there and they're really good. Please go back and listen to those if you haven't, or if you'd like to understand more about how this episode reflects off of Lordship and a biblical worldview, they're available to us. No, I think that's helpful. And really, as we begin to frame this discussion, um, a lot of the, the things that I want to communicate uh, relate to um, my usage of it, for instance, and my understanding of that that phrase, Big Eva. And I'd say in the last decade, and it's probably longer than that, but maybe 20 years or more, you have the development of a few shorthand names like this that seeks to identify a negative relationship with a powerful group. Now, the classic one that we don't even think about anymore is the phrase Big Government. Mostly we think that people use that phrase simply in relationship to the size of government, but it is often used with greater meaning than that. Big government is a mentality and a philosophy that is hostile to the idea of small government. And so with big government, you have the elites and the bureaucracies that fail to serve the people, but it ends up serving and benefiting, listen, itself and the elites within it. And so when government grows, it is more distant from the people it is in power uh, to serve, and they begin to be very protective of each other within the machine as it serves its own interests. And so what comes with big government is also a communication or a media or a branding component. Big government controls the message. Big government shapes the narrative. And so they decide what is important to talk about, and they set the tone and the parameters for acceptable discourse. And for me, this is where a lot of this um, stems from. And so there is great power, and there's a lot of money in big government. Those within the system are able to make a lot of money, and that is one of the key driving factors. The next one is the power and the respect and the prestige that comes with being in the elite class. It was prior to Donald Trump that Rush Limbaugh, at least, I know I heard it from him, and it may have been coined by him or by someone else, but he at least began to refer to many within the government as the establishment. So that's sort of a, another way of, of identifying this big government mentality where, the, where those within the machine and those elites in that system become entrenched and established in such a way that they protect themselves that they um, are resistant to anyone who would challenge their uh, narrative and their control of, uh, of the communication and of the messaging and of the branding. 
And so that was a term for those, uh, the, the establishment, that was a term for those within that big government machine that really don't serve the people, but who end up serving themselves, their own class, their own party, and who keep and protect either the status quo of government or the growth of its own power. And a, a change in that nomenclature a little bit came from Donald Trump. He brought his own kind of branding to the subject, and he called big government, remember what he called it, the swamp. And really, that's the same idea, but with more derision. Um, so following the development of big government, you have other phrases that have developed. The next one that I remember, um, this is, again, somewhat of an unscientific uh, discussion, but the next one that I remember was big pharma. Okay, so let's apply some of the same ideas here. Big Pharma describes the huge and powerful um, profit industry of pharmaceuticals. And their goal is to promote the use of their drugs as the solutions for healthcare. And what begins as a positive scientific effort to treat sickness and disease, that it becomes a significant um, uh, help to people's health and vitality and really... We're thankful for many pharmaceuticals and the, the, the drugs that are developed to help people in their um, healthcare issues. But it has become big business. And so billions and billions of dollars, lots of investments, big projects, significant research, high demand. And then you throw in evil people with godless ideologies as the, as the culture goes and as the culture devolves and the people from that devolved culture enter into these areas of government and uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, they, they develop other aspirations, for instance, of eugenic advancement. Uh, big pharma becomes then corrupt. And so the healthcare industry and big government gets in bed with big pharma, and they all get paid as actual good science and healthcare gets further removed from the people they, they are supposedly serving they protect themselves. There's been a lot of discussion since COVID, right, of these uh, vaccine manufacturers as these big pharmaceutical um, businesses are protected from liabilities. They have uh, sweetheart deals. The government pays them so that everybody else can get a free vaccine. It, you see the big system, the big wheel continues to turn, and it really uh, advances a self um, oriented agenda for elite people. And so people get deceived, people get dependent, and the primary people who benefit are the people in big pharma. Um, they, they end up with, the, um, with the, the, the greatest benefits. Now, you probably have already uh, have the next one on the tip of your tongue. In the last number of years, you've heard the phrase big tech, right? That's another one. So again, we're, we're seeing this this connection, the, the, the shorthand of, of trying to summarize an idea. So big tech, you just keep applying the same ideas. Lots of money, power, prestige that has become centralized. And, and listen, it, it, it all has a common thread of getting connected with big government, by the way. But big tech provides a service that you become dependent upon. It's huge. Uh, it is... Um, powerful. It's, it's, it has tons of money for them, and it becomes then about control. They are uh, filled with uh, elite-minded people uh, who, who really uh, look down at the, the masses and their ability then to control 
and to, uh, again, make money on people who have become dependent upon them. And so they will determine what the narrative is, what definitions are, and it all started with the phrase, the mainstream media. But it's grown so big that it has gone beyond that. The mainstream media doesn't even cover that anymore. It goes now to who controls the technology that all media uses. And so that's where people have identified, wait, this, it's, this is beyond the mainstream media now. Now we've got big tech that is seeking to control the technology that all media uses. It's basically, if you can control the on-ramps and the off-ramps, then, then you really have the, 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 the control of the flow of information and communication. And so big tech serves its own interests and they determine what is best for you. Yeah. And I'm going to pause you there, Danny, because big tech is so important because you said it really is to serve big government, but it also influences all the other bigs. So it influences big Eva. You and I were talking, I had to disconnect from Twitter because of what I call Twitter wars. It's, it's, you know, godly men tossing back and forth, fighting over issues. And all of this is visible to all believers. And that influences you, that influences you. And you've got to recognize that your views are being shaped when you're on social media. And so I've said this over and over again, every click on social media, they are adjusting their algorithm to adapt your worldview to theirs. Now you can resist that, but know that that is happening. It's so critical for us to understand that. I think that's huge. We would recognize the same thing in our relationships with Big Pharma. We would recognize the same thing in our understanding and voting and et cetera related to big government and all these types of things. And unplugging, that idea of unplugging from, wow, I need to I need to reset and really understand what's going on here, not only with big tech, but with big pharma. Look at the data, you know, actually understand things and do some research and because well, be all these educated. things affect us. They exactly. all affect us and they all relate to our freedom as well and our freedom to uh, to think and live biblically uh, for the glory of God. Uh, so um, we've got we've gone through these other bigs. Uh, we we're finally arrive at the question and that's big Eva. So clearly it is a phrase that bears a similar relationship to these others. Eva is short for evangelicalism. And so when we use this phrase, we are referring to, of course, large, powerful, prestigious, and hugely profitable groups and individuals within American evangelicalism. You've heard the phrase, for instance, a mega church. Okay, mega clearly has that idea of a big thing. Uh, and so you've heard of that before, but there is a similar connection to that. I think the mega church kind of is that... Um, initial spark that I think led us to Big Eva overall. Um, but Big Eva is basically mega church on a even more mega scale. Mega churches refer to the size of a church, but it also speaks, listen, to a big business mentality, a wealthy elite at the top that is distant from the people they serve. And they usually are associated with employing growth methods and weaker or compromised teaching, that it becomes popular, and so they become mega, they become huge. And so Big Eva uh, really, I believe, describes a large portion of evangelicalism that isn't just a local mega church, but it speaks of groups of churches, institutions, large parachurch ministries, denominations, conferences, publishers, and and their leaders who garner big names, big bucks, and their methods and teachings are compromised along with it. And so really, I think when we when we use Big Eva, in some measure, we are identifying what we would say is a 
is a, a, a group of, of uh, Christian leaders and, and Christian institutions that um, are, we have a concern about their compromise. Yeah, so I've, I've got a good definition. I liked it. It's the Reform War Room. It says, a network of large evangelical organizations, including churches, conferences that seek to shape the thinking and strategy of the American evangelical churches. And so the, the reason I like that and my caution, and I've, I've cautioned this on the show before, one is all the celebrity pastors that are preaching are preaching to their congregation. God's design for the church is the local church. And so he's not preaching to you. John MacArthur has great teaching, but that's not preaching to me. He's preaching to his congregation. And that's such an important concept to remember. God's design is Pastor Danny preaching to True Family Bible Church. That's the only preaching we get, essentially. The other is really good teaching, but their preaching is being applied to their audience. So what happens with these big organizations as they draw teaching up into that level or even preaching methods into that level, it moves it away from God's design of the local church. That's my biggest fear of Big Eva. I think that's a great uh, a great comment on that. I think that's really good. Uh, the, these these big names and more importantly, their churches and institutions, again, you you talked about that idea of movement. Um, th they have a bigger they have a bigger vision and a bigger view than their local church. It is to move the masses of evangelicals of those professing the name of Christ. Uh, and it's that element of seeking uh, to control the narrative. Again, we've talked about this element of the big, just like big government and big tech uh, and so forth. The branding of Christianity, uh, that that speaks to, they want to be the purveyors of our Christian witness and how the world sees us. Uh, they, they serve to continue to pull the church also to the left. And I think that's the that's that element of Big Eva that speaks to the the compromise that we see in these large organizations and movements within evangelicalism. Uh, again, even just a couple years ago at, at Shepherd's Conference, there was the talk about uh, we'll give evangelicalism a, as a phrase and as an idea uh, just an, another another chance. But evangelicalism is actually a um, becoming something that is not especially Christian anymore. And, and that becomes, our words end up becoming um, something that betrays something that we're not really intending any longer. And so Big Eva, uh, when we speak of it, it speaks of the system, the, the machine, as it were, that has grown very large, very wealthy, and is the conduit of progressive politics in the church, okay? Big Eva it has become the progressive conduit in the church. And so wokeism, feminism, the Me Too agenda, homosexuality and transgenderism, they uh, those elements, and, and again, it doesn't come in just bold-faced all the time saying that that's what they're promoting. Uh, these are the critiques that we see as those compromises continue to move the narrative and to shift um, the worldview of the, and pull the worldview of the church further to the left. Um, and so they're compromised, um, uh, they've compromised the modern church in some way. And so these churches and pastors and leaders and institutions, and as churches are part of those groups and, and those efforts, um, they really keep serving each other. And make no mistake, there is big money and power and notoriety at play. 
that's what we that's what that's how big Eva kind of came to be. Uh, Jim, I think you have maybe some more comments on some of the origins of when, when that word even started or phrase used to be. Uh, yeah, so started. I think the history of it again it goes back to this big fill in the blank that you went over, but it really took off. Um, so 2018 at the Shepherds Conference, Phil Johnson was on a panel. He was actually the moderator of the panel with John MacArthur, uh, Ligon Duncan, uh, Mark Devers was there, um, Al Al Muller was there. And Phil was leaning into really hard, leaning into this statement on social justice and the gospel that was signed by a majority of conservative people. Uh, Vody Bachman signed it. You know, he was one of the originators, John MacArthur. And he was leaning into Al and uh, Al Mohler was resisting signing and resisting even talking about the issue. And he came out with Big Eva and coined it. And that it really took off from there. That was that was kind of the birth of it within the larger movement, all the all the underlings was already in place. Well, what Phil was noticing was that Big Eva was resistant to what sh- what the, the the big question that Phil was really raising at that point was where where are these bigger names and institutions and people within the broader evangelical movement? This statement on social justice should be uh, basic. It should be clear. This is this should not be a controversial thing to to do and to say. Um, let's we we wanting to be on the same team. What's the issue? And so this identification of Big Eva being a little bit more resistant to this conservative uh, again cons- uh, conservatism is that which is primarily seeking to hold fundamental ground and and important orthodoxy and and truth so, <laughs> truth. And so when it's under attack. Um, that's when conservatives actually show themselves to be conservative or not, and then and that's where Phil was pressing, pressing that that moment and that point was basically, where is Big Eva on this? And it became this element of understanding what what Big Eva was about. Well, yeah, and Phil flipped the narrative. He went on the offensive with God's truth built into this social justice document, and it was interesting because Devers was very obtuse. He didn't even know how to respond to this what I would call a good debate. Like, let's get into the Bible and debate it. Uh, Ligon Duncan was squirmy at best and Al was completely defensive. So John MacArthur actually had to kind of jump in and, and bring it under a calmer control. But it was a, it was a great spark for the big church, all of us to see this play out in real time. So to me, it was a very positive and necessary event in big Eva. It was controversial and it was, um, the challenge was is that these guys were all friends and part of the same conference and ostensibly on the same team, but it began to show some cracks in in the conservative alliance, if you will, of of Christian leaders and big names and conferences had really begun to take off. Um, Shepherd's Conference probably being one of the first and biggest, and then there was of course a, a number of other conferences. T4G being one of the uh, together for the gospel, the T4G conference. Um, and, and as you started to see these cracks and you started to see these defensive postures, as you mentioned, Jim, and, and, and that's one of the elements that we find in Big Eva is it very much begins to um, defend and protect itself and um, from, from a lot of, of those criticisms and, and circling the wagons. And that's one of the problems we see. One of the things we'll get to in maybe just a minute is the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's one of the the challenges of the Southern Baptists is, uh, it seems like they, they talk about the 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of another Southern Baptist. 
which shows you that element of of self protection of uh, of not wanting to um, to really deal with the the issues, and it becomes a, um, a protecting itself, and that's what we see a lot again in big government, in big tech, in big pharma. It becomes self preservation, and and that um, and they don't won't acknowledge errors and compromises. Yeah, and Danny, let's talk a little bit. I'm going to take you off track, but a little bit on like what are we listening for? So so as we're teaching a biblical worldview and a high view of lordship, you get into this. You hear as they go up and they become more watered down and less gospel focused, you will hear things that become common across all of them. So, you know, they'll talk about cultural engagement instead of creating the church's culture. They'll talk about, you know, words like nuanced and you'll see them punch right. So they'll they'll punch Christian brothers before they'll go after transgender, for example. And so you see all these trends of engaging society or being inclusive and being loving and gracious to them, which are absolutely two attributes of God, but they're not the only two. And so we should be able to begin hearing these things as we grow in sanctification and we have a higher view of lordship and t- and attach that to a biblical worldview. So that's that's kind of my feedback to everyone is begin listening for these things as you're engaged in it. You don't have to engage in it, but that's how you really recognize it is, is you begin hearing things that go against scripture and you're starting to ask those questions why. I think it's a great point. You, you, uh, this comes to uh, issues of discernment and wisdom to be able to identify um, when someone is bringing forward a message that it seems a little bit uh, out of out of bounds, perhaps, or or is leaning towards something that is um, uh, that that doesn't make sense biblically. And you you mentioned that, for instance, the term nuance. For instance, nuance isn't a terrible word. But it becomes that which uh, is a hammer against speaking the truth plainly, and, and or you know it's just not nuanced enough. You, well, is it the truth? Well, you know we just got to be really more careful, and it, you just start to 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 step back from the bold proclamation of the truth of God's word, um, and so there that that becomes an element of the way in which Big Eva disarms conservatism, disarms the the strength of a of a convictional church and a confessional church and, and it becomes uh, again you, you mentioned even they talk about cultural engagement well do we want don't we want to engage the culture well of of course we do what is that but what does that mean right. and the devil's in the details the devil's in the definitions and I'll give you an example oh Danny just be pragmatic about this I mean we have to engage the world so we should bring them things that are associated with who they are. I mean, that that's the type of language that you hear is, is pragmatism, not biblical principles. Well, and it's this, uh, yes, and it's this uh, element of, and it's really a posture to the world, right? right. Um, I would say a lot of the issues with Big Eva has to do with the way in which they view um, the, the, the other power, the other bigs, the other, uh, and, and unbelievers. They, they don't actually... While while verbally and in their doctrinal statement, they'll speak about the depravity of man and an understanding that that's what they teach that man is totally depraved. the The, the problem is is that in practicality, you're seeking to uh, appeal to them. You're seeking to be winsome. That's that that's a buzzword today in Big Eva, especially is is this desire to be like winsome is 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 shorthand uh, a nicer way to say we want to be liked by the rest of the world. And so in, when you do that, that comes with a, n- a number of sets of compromises 
that, um, that, that give away too much that we don't need to be giving away. So for instance, we, we've had some conversations around here. We had our conference relative to creation and evolution. And it, many in, in Big Eva, again, not all of them, and that's part of, part of the problem too. It's like sometimes it's trying to nail jello to the wall because there's, uh, there's always ways to squirm and to wiggle out of, um, of being identified with a group or different things. And just a quick pause there before I, I get into that. Hopefully I won't forget where I was going. I was thinking about this um, in preparation for this. You know, Jesus certainly identified uh, groups, and many people refer to them as stereotypes. And uh, stereotypes are normal. They're actually uh, unavoidable. Uh, and many of them are helpful. And that's what really kind of Big Eva is. A um, Jesus would would speak about, uh, and the scripture speaks about the leaders, the 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 Pharisees, all of them or some of them. You know what I mean? Right. You, you obviously do have classifications. The the um, the scribes, all of them. Well, speaking about the group, right? Tax collectors. Right. Well, tax collectors was certainly a uh, a big Eva sort of word of derision about the compromises that the tax collectors in that day made. All of them. Uh, did you interview all of them? Do, is it uh, is it possible for one of them to say, "Well, I'm not like some of the other tax collectors"? Well, the point is, is that I, I'm arguing for the value of being able to categorize some groups of people based on 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 normal or um, common uh, traits and behaviors. And um, and of course, I did forget exactly where I was uh, where I was going with that. But we might have uh, maybe if I'll think about it, I'll, I'll get back to no, it. No, I think it's important. Jump. And and you know, so how do you how do you know that you're in a big Eva church, or how do you know that you're being influenced by big Eva? Well, one is know you're being influenced. So if you're if you're engaging the world, they're going to influence you. The question is, is do you see it and defend against it back into a larger biblical worldview, or do you allow it to change you? And so that's a that's a tough question, but I think listening for these common phrases, looking for, you know, I call them ministries or, or programs, you know, that the, they use words that kind of nuance across that even. So it's a program, but they hide it under, oh, this is a ministry for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so we, we've got to be careful of those things and, and really engaging them in a way that it influences and it moves us too far. And that's why I'm so protective of the church calendar. So, yeah. I think another aspect of that is um, is recognizing that there is a cooperation, there is a worldview at play here that has influenced the church. And while you you'll still in many of them, you'll find churches that will say we don't we don't talk about politics politics. We're not really involved in those things. But um, you'll notice that there'll be lots of conversation about environmentalism and, and those types of things. There's going to be, you, you talked about already, Jim, this idea of, of you know, overemphasis on, on loving the LGBTQ plus IA alphabet soup um, community. And, and while, of course, we're not saying otherwise, but what does that mean? And why are you making that a point? Because that's that punching right because there is this softening. Again, these are body blows. Right. This is softening you up for a movement to the left. And uh, you can you can say that we're looking for, um, we're concerned about the boogeyman under the bed. The reality is, is that it, he is there <laughs> and the devil is opposed to the church. And, and, the one, and one of the primary ways the scripture talks about it is that the attack 
that matters the most in at for the church is the one that comes within from within it. Right. That's the sad part is it paralyzes yes. effective ministries. It actually paralyzes things that are working well. Right. So and so we need to be aware especially of um uh whether whether there's the beginning of the slide or whether you're halfway down the hill right. um or whether you're you've crashed at the bottom um it's important to understand how we get there and what we're dealing with and so big eva again uh what is it it's really this uh, idea of these big uh powerful um narrative shaping um left leaning um elements that um that have are part of the the bigger element of the of the church and we're really speaking we're speaking of course uh in the united states um there certainly could be other elements and you can maybe put the same label uh elsewhere but i think those are some of the main things um there are a few names i think we want to be careful um um and, and not trying to drag too many um too many people again you need to be discerning if you're uh, not at well, you need to be discerning at Truth Family Bible Church, but if you're not at Truth Family Bible Church, uh, you need you do, do need to be uh, watchful and careful and prayerful and um, and be a Berean um, in your church to watch out for these things because so many churches with technology today, um, we do go to conferences, right? Your pastor goes to conferences. We, we do read books and listen to podcasts. And who, who are they listening to? Who are they quoting? different things like that. Some of these are going to tip you off as to what's the direction, where are we headed? Where, um, what's, what's the big deal of, of the direction of, of the church today? Yeah. And because big Eve is a little squishy and again, we're, we're trying to put some definitions around it and things to listen for. We do have to be careful, Danny. We've got, and there's false teachers. And Danny, as you say, if you're going to call them out, you got to bring the receipts. You actually have to demonstrate and show biblically that they are false teachers and there are people that are out there and we're going to talk about some of them and then there's false teaching so there's this teaching aspect that's different all of us are susceptible to that if danny or i teach falsely please come to us and show us our errors in scripture so that's it's important to distinguish between those two and then there's there's teaching that's biblical but it's it's a smaller view of god that can easily lead you astray and that's where i'm careful it, it can go both ways i mean I've come out of Big Eva, so you can God can grow through sanctification in that process as well. But we've got to be very careful about the things that we allow into our minds. Uh, very much so, and these have uh, significant implications for the future. As the next generation, as young people, our children are being brought up in this, we talked about this in our most recent interview. Um, the effect of how you are raised, the effect of your parents and your church. And where that can lead you, uh, it, these are not benign things. Uh, the 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 purity of the church and uh, and our message and our ministry is so important for the future of the fidelity of the church moving forward. Uh, just a couple of of names that I think are um, are helpful just to be aware of, and uh, many of you already are. But uh, we'll just kind of communicate a few of these. Um, some of these, and there's a spectrum, right? Some are going to be um, uh, further down the 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 slide hill, and and th than others. But uh, Tim Keller to me is uh, the poster child for Big Eva, and uh, I, I think he's a, a dangerous uh, a dangerous person. Uh, Russell Moore um, has been a huge disappointment, and uh, and especially even early on, I, I actually respected some things about him, but um, 
uh, stay away from Russell Moore. And uh, uh, David Platt, I think, is another really um, sad case and dangerous, uh, dangerous guy. Andy Stanley, uh, he's at the bottom of the hill, yeah, I would yeah. say. Uh, he's about to go. If he hasn't, uh, again, I'm not the, the the judge, jury, and executioner here, but if he hasn't uh, apostatized, um, it's around the corner. Well, he has. I mean, he said the Old Testament is not applicable, and so well, to me, yeah. that is that's uh, it's, criteria. It's pretty enough. much. It's pretty much. Yeah, the, right. the light's going out. Right. Um, and there's we would pray for his repentance and restoration. Right. Um, but uh, stay away from uh, all things Andy Stanley. Uh, I would put Mark Dever in this. Um, Al Moeller. Uh, some are disappointed to hear Al Mohler's name in that. I certainly am, am one of them. Um, I almost went to Southern Seminary. I've I've been able to meet with meet with him and and uh, spoken with him before. Um, and there's there's a lot to that. And uh, there's still many things to to appreciate and respect about um, Al Mohler. But I, I certainly would put him in the Big Eva category. Uh, Rick Warren, uh, I would put Ligon Duncan. So really, the the panel that was on that stage that day with Phil Johnson, I would I would put in that um, in that group. Um, I'm going to add Michael Horton's name there as well. Um, I, I've I've sadly seen more from Michael Horton that I'd I've, I'm disappointed in. And then really some of the Big Eva groups, um, I, the number one, and I'm I'm really excited to um, give you some uh, to break some news on the podcast. Uh, we need some ABC news breaking news music maybe that might maybe if mark can find it here but uh the gospel coalition is uh probably the flagship um uh communication and uh teaching arm of big eva and the the news that i'm breaking is um i was just communicated with this week that a tgc a gospel coalition uh competitor is being spun up and uh, I, I, that's as far as I will take it for now. There will be more uh, details to that breaking news at, at a later time and perhaps some of um, our involvement with that. But uh, a, a, great, um, a, a great opportunity to, uh, to seek to counter some of the, the powerful influence that the Gospel Coalition has. Uh, Nine Marks, uh, Desiring God, T4G, which is no more. Uh, and again, that's one of those things where they went Full, pretty much full woke, and they went broke, and moved on. Um, Crew, which is formerly known as, um, I believe that's Campus Crusade. Yep. And then uh, Christianity Today, InterVarsity Press, and there's more. But these are some really big organizations that are influential in moving the needle left from this big Eva uh, kind of mind frame. Yeah, and before we get to Cavalry Chapel, there's kind of two, a couple resources for you. One is talk to your elders and deacons. So that's first and foremost is come ask us and we can kind of shape and understand who you're looking at or what you might have questions on. Um, also, John, Har John Harris has a great podcast. It's December 7th, 2021. It's a great episode talking about Big Eva, giving it some definition, kind of what we talked about here today. And then also Justin Peters has some outstanding resources on the web uh, talking about false teaching and false teachers. So I would point you to John Harris's podcast on Big Eva. And then Justin Peters has some ongoing things about false teaching and teachers. And then obviously talk to us. That's good. And again, the goal in this is to help you to be edified, to be discerning, and to be just wise in the resources that you access. And as just to put an exclamation point on what Jim was talking about, um, the reality of the importance of your commitment to the local church. Don't think that 
uh, that, well, you can just listen to John MacArthur and Al Mohler and whatever else online. And, and that's, that's sufficient and perhaps even superior uh, to uh, the life in the local church and with your own uh, elders and uh, and body. And so, I, I, by the way, just to step back for a second in my premarital counseling that I was able to do this week, um, one of the things that, um, yeah, that we talked about was this element of the commitment to the local church and um, and how important that is and to develop those those convictions and those relationships and to be um, to be servants in it, not just not only uh, receivers, but the the key element what people don't realize is how important it is in showing up. It's important for work, but it's also important for the church. You are an encouragement to people when you come to church and when you're not there, uh, that's that's a hole. Something's missing, and and we don't feel like we're we're as complete. And so, um, really devote yourself to the local ministry. Uh, just want to before we move on to just talking a little bit more about the other part of the question related to Calvary Chapel. Um, Dad, did you have any um, any thoughts or comments or um, anything further just to add on this uh, conversation about Big Eva? The only. The only thing I was thinking of uh, as you were talking was uh, just projecting back in in my life and um, that some of these same ideas uh, moving left and uh, social gospel and that sort of thing uh, started in uh, the 60s in um, in the mainline uh, denominations. denominations. And that was uh, what we were seeing. So we're seeing a lot of the same thing, and that's what we reacted to. That's why we, uh, we left the Lutheran Church and became involved with evangelicalism because they stood against this type of uh, movement, and yet we now find ourselves um, where they're caught up in that same same idea, same movement, same compromise that was we saw back in the, the early 60s and it's and it's really the the work of satan right coming in to try to get us to compromise on the truth yeah if big if big fill in the blank was around in the 1600s it would be big catholic right i mean because that was that, oh, was, that's a great that point. was taking god's word and and manipulating it for controlling people yeah so and it became to serve itself not not uh self-aware uh, a number of things like that. So that's that's a, that's a great uh, a great illustration there. Well, let's let's move forward to a little bit of a discussion about um, Calvary Chapel, and um, we definitely wanted uh, Dad to communicate a little bit about that because you were certainly there um, and around during the time of this development. I think you're the only one at the table that has seen uh, the Jesus Revolution movie that is currently out. Um, which is really a, a movie about that the, the the birth, the dawning of Calvary Chapel, and those types of things. So um, maybe just to toss you the ball to start off with here, um, what are what are some of your thoughts or comments about really the the beginning of that Calvary Chapel um, movement? Well, um, as as viewing the movie, I I was projecting my own self back into that time and how I re was reacting to that during those, those times. And I really saw from, from a personal standpoint, it was kind of attack on my beliefs because, um, uh, I was trying to 
well, I was involved in the church that my parents had started and loved it, loved the church, thought it was getting great teaching. And, and that, that was uh, being challenged with the young people saying that we need to kind of throw off our parents' uh, dead religions. And, um, and so I saw that as a, um, a conflict that I, that I had where I was trying to, uh, I was enjoying and loving what, where I was in the church that I was in. Um, and yet the notion of coming in with a, um, a presentation or that the young people were essentially saying, um, we know better. We know better. Your, your, uh, religion is old and dead and we're turning it over into this revolution, new, revolution, this new experience. Um, and so, uh, I didn't, uh, respond well to that that during those those days and and yet uh, the thing that just overwhelmed me in seeing the movie is just the impact that they had uh, in Southern California at that time and in the world in general and how it even continues to this day how they influenced every single church in America as they some of them have even stated um, and I think rightly so that they have uh, impacted how people uh, view uh, church and how to do church, really. Well, and I think, to me, I, I think that's a good place to start there, is to recognize that uh, Calvary Chapel, we would, I would say, is really a, it's a mixed bag. I, I'd say there, there's, you, you can't, we talked about this even before we started recording today, that you can't deny that um, the gospel um, has been present. You can't deny that Many people have been saved and have been um, had their lives changed uh, by God through um, through those those ministries, and I, I think that's actually appropriate for us to be bringing this up today because just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this revival, um, this Asbury revival, and really what we're talking about in terms of the the genesis of Calvary Chapel was in this in this large revivalist type of of movement and the the efforts at um, certainly preaching the gospel towards conversion um, calling people out of the world to some to some extent but what you're talking about um, uh, was was more than just that it was also a philosophy of ministry because it wasn't just simply um, it, it wasn't just simply the the church, or just the message, but it was also a revolutionizing of of ministry in terms of revivalism. I mean, you think of so Greg Laurie is one of the one of the key figures here, and the Harvest Crusade that grew up my whole life never went to one because we we weren't buying into all the all of the hype. But the Harvest Crusades filling Angel Stadium in Anaheim, um, and, and and I'm sure other venues and things. This this uh, B Billy Graham revivalist. Um, mentality. And a, a lot of the, the challenge though has been that it, it comes from this um, more of more of a um, cheaper grace mentality. And what uh, others of us have referred to Calvary chapels as tending to be more of a 
we, we call it sort of a, a gateway church because what happens is that a lot of a lot of people as they are saved from in, in Calvary Chapel um, and they start to study because Calvary chapels are note are noteworthy as being very Arminian. So they're they're not strong in the doctrines of grace. Um, as people begin to study their Bibles and become familiar with the historical church, which is what you're, what, Dad, you were saying that you were basically within, you were within more of that historical uh, stream of Christianity. As people then become more familiar with that, then they end up going into a lot of other churches, leaving Calvary chapels. Um, so th those are just a, a few elements that we would we would know. And the key, one of the key elements to that was the. Uh, cultural appropriation of worldly methods and uh, styles. Um, Calvary Chapel was very known um, early on and and continuing today with some maybe perhaps some differences. Um, was very much known for um, not not leaving the world um, in in a really a, a truly radical or complete way. It was very much in adopting the the things that they already liked from the world into the style of the church. And that's where a lot of the concerns, uh, I think a lot of the concerns about Calvary Chapel kind of stem from is this philosophy of ministry um, that was that was um, that was a, a rebellion against the um, the serious and the the reverent and the um, and some of it, uh, certainly, there is a danger there. You can get cold and dry and stale and crusty and and so forth. So there certainly can be, and, and there can be some good you know reactions to that. But it becomes, as you mentioned, Dad, this overthrowing of the of the norms of historic Christianity and of a of a ordinary means kind of philosophy of ministry, to where the world, the thing that you things you already like, the music and the clothing and the styles and the being cool, it, it made Christianity cool. Um, that's the we talked about this in terms of Big Eva. Big Eva has this mentality of desiring to be liked by the world. And here there's this packaging the gospel with other things of the world that you already like in terms of music and styles and kind of this. Um, rate, uh, this uh, being able to kind of lift a little bit of the fist to your parents to say, uh, we won't be having any more of this, uh, of your version of Christianity. We're going to reinvent the church for ourselves. And, um, and, and that's something that I think a lot of Calvary chapels are even wrestling with and struggling. Now you, you have a story about being a teacher in a, in a private school where parents now further down the generational line, parents of who had grown up in Calvary chapels are now having rebellious children that were that they were struggling with. And it was sort of it's a little bit of ironic because that Calvary Chapel element is is was born in some measure out of a of a of a rebellion against the older denominational um it split church. families and and caused a lot of pain. Mm. Um because the young people were like, I don't want to go to church with my parents. I'm gonna, yeah, I want to go where, where yeah, this our really, friends are. Yeah, this really split the church into the older generation and the young, younger mm -hmm. generation. But that's where that was the genesis of the traditional service and the contemporary, contemporary service. service, right? Right. So <clears throat> that that was the compromise that the church tried to make because the young people um, didn't want to be a part of the quote unquote traditional service, and so the way you 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 kept them in in within the building. Uh, was to was to try to give them their version that they really were after. Is that fair? 
Yes. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And again, you know, we talk about this, there's ditches on both sides of the road. I think, yes. you know, the, the big Eve, I would say is in the ditch and Calvary, I would just say is a little bit closer than I would like personally and where I am in, in my growth and sanctification. But there are things that we appreciate about Calvary as well. So yes. I think it's important to point that out. And while they may have either adapted to the world or adjusted to the world in order to draw in, most of them are expository preaching, which is something that I, I, you know, for me, that's a check mark. You, you have to have expository. That's preaching. the only thing that's kept it on the rails. And I, th I think that that teaching verse by verse, the way that God gave us His Word, is what draws them into growth, and why you see them essentially as a gateway. I mean, that's and, that's kind of my perspective. Is is it's there? You know, God's got a purpose in His local churches. Yes. And to be honest with you, um, as we've gone through what I would call tyranny through this COVID, their response, you know, Jack Hibbs Church down there has been fantastic and so there's an appreciation for them uh, as well and I, I would think that just to add that that's what i would have liked to seen even in younger years or um the idea of expository preaching is what caught my attention and and just caused a burning in my bosom it's just, it's just a desire to get more and more and more expository preaching and i would like to seen that without the overthrow of uh, or bringing in with um, modern methods and fads and music and whatever to try to get to that uh, we didn't need that uh, experience um in order to get to the expository preaching i would like to seen that without uh, overthrowing our parents and yet, churches and right, and and just to come back to that, and yet we can be thankful that that even with I think um, we can all be thankful that despite our er our our errors, our efforts, our weaknesses, our blind spots, our misgivings, that the Lord can use that by His providence to bring about good result. We see this all throughout the Scripture. Um, and but the idea that that we're not denigrating the reality that that God ab absolutely has used Calvary Chapel to bring people to Himself. And again, I would I would separate Big Eva from Calvary. I, I I look at them as brothers in Christ, and there are things that they've done that are better than a lot of the Baptist churches as we've gone through this. So a lot of Baptist churches that are singing hymns aren't necessarily engaged That's with right. the world in a way that I see Calvary. And so again, you're looking at this going, here's how we. It's the philosophy of ministry that we have. Our prayer is that we're more in the middle of the road, not going off the ditch in the either way, um, but appreciating them. So uh, that's an excellent. Is that point. Fair? That's absolutely an excellent point. Uh, yeah, just because that you uh, you maintain the the history and the traditions doesn't mean that you've arrived or that you've captured everything. Uh, but also just because that you've thrown those things off and have uh, s sought to reinvent and to bring in elements of the world that you that you happen to like doesn't mean that you are uh, completely ineffective uh, uh, and and not useful in the kingdom of God and so uh, just making sure that we have the, a proper perspective we want to we want to do the best we can just like Jim said in terms of lordship we want to uh, do our best to honor the Lord in every way that we can we want to keep our roots grounded in the past we want we, we think history is really important um, history goes well beyond by the way, 1970, or whenever Calvary Chapel right gets started in the 70s, when when that's really started, 
we have a longer view of history than that. That's why I brought um, up big Catholic. It's so right. important for us to understand. That's right. So, um, so there's a lot to be thankful for. Um, but uh, another, I just looked at one of my notes here on on this. Um, Calvary Chapel. One of the things I would say is I, I would identify them as as soft charismatics uh, in, in terms of their in terms of the churches. Um, I certainly saw that in my upbringing and in, in terms of, of that influence. Um, and while they, I don't think there would be the, the, the tend to go all the way. There is that, that high, uh, experiential and emotional ism that, that has come forward. That's really, I think a lot of that underpinning of the, the Calvary Chapel, uh, kind of movement. Um, but that the value there is, um, is teaching the Bible verse by verse, um, uh, mostly. And then, um, uh, but then again, that lately we've seen them um, really do well and desire to be influential for the truth, standing up for uh, cultural, political um, witness for the sake of of God's truth in the in the world, um, and they've just been very very good about that. And so we can absolutely appreciate and um, and cooperate with and link arms with uh, brothers and sisters um, who are in that. And Jim, you've You've even referenced that. Look, if uh, if you can't f- find uh, another solid church, we, we talk about moving your son, right? That's right. Calvary Chapel would have was would be one of the options. It was number two because uh, in in the area in which your son was moving, right. because you knew that they have a commitment to expository preaching. And might not, and of course, it, it wouldn't be first on your list. Right. But um, but if it is a Christian church, and and you you can go there. If there is no uh, no better gospel gospel witness, and so we just uh, appreciate uh, what the Lord has done, and but yet we would also uh, definitely move in a different direction and, uh, and 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 not be at the same level as as to where they're at. We have some different convictions. Well, good. Anything else uh, from you guys? Any other comments on that? No. Hopefully that was helpful to Todd, and hopefully it was helpful for our congregation and understanding. Again, any questions on that, please feel free to ask any of the elders or deacons. Very important. That's good. Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's Word is truth.